big welcome along to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast as we bring you episode two of season two. I'm joined by my co-host, John. Hello, John. Good evening, Stephen. Good to be here. Good to see you. Today's episode is actually a part two, part two, to get its French name, as we finish, or hope to finish, our chat with James Stewart. Part one was a right good weather, really enjoyed it, and we've had some really good feedback about it, so thanks for that um, on our social channels, Insta and Twitter. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to tonight, and I know you are too, John. Definitely, and I'm going to try and be more composed tonight, and not move races around countries. I must admit, last time we spoke with James, I probably was a wee bit excited, and that's why I was talking about the Rocky Raccoon being in fucking... Canada and all. So, but I'm now I'm more composed tonight. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling. Good. <laughs> You're looking more composed. I'm feeling it, man. I'm oh, feeling it. Yeah, yeah. So without further ado, um, we didn't want to waste time. Welcome again to James Stewart for round two. Hello, James. Hello, and thanks for um, having me back. It feels great not to be a one-hit wonder. <laughs> You're a I first, know, first returning, first part two. First part two. First part, part, two. part two's often flop. Not this one. Ah, this is going to be like Home Alone 2, given the season and all that, which is better than Home Alone 1. I'll put that out there. Maybe maybe your listeners will have a different oh, view. Contentious from the start. It's a big call. <laughs> uh, Home Alone 2's lost in New York, isn't it? Aye. 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 I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. There you go. There you go. People, people can speak and let us know what they think. But yes, it's great to be back. I'm looking forward to the chat again. Me too. John, I am kicking off because I know you're eager. I'm I'm sitting here trying to think of albums, second albums that were better than the first ones. I know James is a bit of a music fan as well, but I'm 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 scared to throw something in the mix there. Just so I'll ponder on that one about second albums that were better than the first. The Cult's Love was better than the Cult's Dream Thing. There you go. For anyone who knows me, I'm right also going to talk about the Cult. Yeah, off the bat, brilliant. I I, I often thought that. Bewitched second album was really good. <laughs> Be star witched, yeah. What, we were yeah. Three, minute, three minutes yeah. in. <laughs> ah, we're off piste already. I'll, I'll bring us back on. To, on you go, Stevie yeah. boy. Okay, and we're going to start with something that has happened this year, 2020. Tons of shit's happened this year, but this was um, something big that James did this year, which was the John Muir Way Trail, FKT. Now, FKT, for those who haven't heard us speak about it before, is fastest known time. And I know that James took on the John Muir Way as an attempt at an FKT. And we want to find out more about that, James, how it came about and then just how you got on. Yeah, um, how it came about. So I actually live pretty much on the John Muir Way, albeit it's 134 miles long or something like that. So I don't live on all of it. Otherwise, I'd have a bigger house in the Queen. But um I live in Croy, which is about, I think it must be 45, 50 miles in if you're coming from west to east. So the, the signs are everywhere and when you're on the trails around here. It's quite interesting because loads of people have done FKTs this year. And I've just finished reading Ali Bevan's book, um, Broken, which if you've not had a chance yet, it's a, it's a really good read. It's, I, I, the, the John Muir Way has actually talked to me a bit in it and so is some of the stuff we might end up talking about today. But the idea of that book was people just decided to do FKTs this year. But I'd actually decided to do the John Muir Way in October last year. So October 2019, 
I was planning towards the European Champs for um, September 2020. So I was hoping to be selected for Britain again in the 24. So it was like a big summer event to train for, then to go on holiday on the back of, have a family holiday, and then re-ramp the training towards the, the Champs. That was the thinking. So I picked the John Muir Way um, in October last year, and it hadn't actually been kind of conquered yet. And obviously people had walked it. So, but it hadn't been conquered yet. Um, but it was like, right, I'm going to do that because it goes over Croy. It'll be pretty cool. Start in Helensburgh, hit Dunbar, try and do it in under a day. Um, that was that was the the aim of it. Um, and it's quite a, quite an odd trail in the sense that it's got a bit of everything, but it's not got too much of anything. So there's not too many hills, and there's not too many too much. There's not any gnarly trail. The whole thing's completely runnable. Uh, but there is some ups and downs. There is some trail where you're kind of West Highland Way type trail, then Canal Towpath, then a wee bit of mud, and so on and so forth. So it's got a good good lot of variety, but it's also just looked brilliant on a map, right? And that was the thing. And I like to visualise these things. Uh -huh. And yeah. it's just seen a map where you start on the, um, effectively you're starting on the, the west coast, hitting the east coast, and you're doing that all in a day. It just looks really cool. So that was the thinking behind it. So I wanted to do something as an adventure as opposed to a race, um, and I, I decided to go for that. And then um, Christian Delacour, for any of you who know Christian, he's, he's yep. well-kent and well-popular face in the Scottish ultra running scene. He actually did it on Boxing Day last year. I, I ran seven or eight miles with him, um, and but he did it totally unsupported. Um, and I, um, I went out and ran a wee bit out with him then and he was the only person apart from Paul Giblin who knew I was going to do it before I put it out there obviously apart from my wife and what have you um, because I didn't want to put it out there but I also wanted to you know, let him know that I, I, I was intending doing this in the summer um, just so, so that you know, give him the honour of being the first person to do it he had the FKT but also to let him know I was intending going after it So, um, and he, he done well, he done it east to west and west to east, actually. So, yeah, it's a lovely bit of trail. Yeah, it's a trail that I've never been on. I think there's a ultra on the east side, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a 50k, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah a 50k, um, wh which takes in some of the trail. Yep. Um, and I've maybe mooched about that a wee bit. But, yeah, um, I think the, the name John Muir is obviously, um, you know, one that brings back, um, sorry, what, what brings back a lot of thoughts around about exploring and stuff. And there's a famous John Muir trail in the West Coast of America. Yeah. It's, it's named after the same person. I, th I think yeah. you know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The mountains are calling guy. Yeah. And, and the trail in Scotland actually depicts his journey from Dunbar. Um, to Helensburgh as he made his journey to America. That's the, the concept. So you finish at his birthplace. If you're going west to east, certainly you finish at his birthplace. If you're going right. obviously east to west, you don't. So that's yeah. the whole idea is to depict his journey from one side of Scotland to the other as a boy. I think he was maybe nine when he left for the States. So yeah, I mean, he's obviously a very famous um, um, environmentalist and <laughs> friend of the presidents and stuff. But he's also got a wee trail that runs over Croy Hill. So I decided to run it. That was it. Uh, I, I, I first saw the John Muir Way, Susan, my wife, she took part in a big, called it the Big Swim, it was in Loch Lomond, five years ago or something, and we were walking back to the car, and you know you get these wee posts like you see in the West Highland Way and the Great Glen, and there was this wee purple, I said, I've never seen a purple one before, the John Muir Way, I'd heard the John Muir, but I never knew, I don't know when, the, I, I must go and check when they actually opened the John Muir Way in Scotland, but yeah, John Muir, he, he was the sort of father of the national parks in America. We'll post right. some links in, in the show notes for people who've maybe not, not, not heard of who he is. Remarkable story. Great guy. Um, as James says, great environmentalist as well. Definitely. Yeah. 
a, a story everyone should be aware of. Well ahead of his time with his thoughts yeah. on the environment and conservation and stuff. Yeah, and 134 miles, you said. The, yeah, the I think I think that's what it is. Yeah, 134 think, miles there or thereabouts. I think, I think. Yeah, it's 134.13. No, seriously, it's about 134. <laughs> Once you get to that level of mileage, you're just kind of give or take in it. You know, it's give or take a dozen. So a it, it was in and around that. Aye, it was. I said aha as if I'm sort of like aware yeah. that yeah, it is that. But um, so how did it go? How how did the day pan out? Well. On the, the so the, I, I wanted to start at eight in the morning um, in Helensburgh. Um, so and it was like the first day after lockdown ended in Scotland. So I went out on the day, basically Sturgeon um, done an announcement. Right, we're going to um, you know we're going to open it back up and you can travel out with your zones and you can exercise and all of that whatever outside your your, your locality from the I think it was the third of July or fourth or whatever. Anyway, first first Friday in July. And I was like, well, that'll do me. That's when I'll just go and do it. So I trained hard all, all summer. The European Champs had been cancelled, but I just decided to train just as if I was training for an event. But then as soon as the opportunity came, I would do a rapid taper and off I would go. Um, and I'm not kidding you, the morning, the, 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 the day I was going out, it was monsoon weather, you know, honestly, like guys building arcs and all that stuff, like just in case. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to run all across Scotland in this. It's going to be Chaff Central and all of that. So... <clears throat> You're actually, it's one of those days where you're, you're at the car, it's July, but you've got the winter gear with you because it's Scotland and um, I'm getting soaked and I'm like, right, I need to put on Geely or something, whatever you would call it. Um, this kind of gore waterproof kind of sleeveless top, long sleeve top underneath it, got the gloves just in case and all that. And you're like, holy neck, I envisaged this as being like some sort of glorious sunshine run. So that's how it started. And I was absolutely drenched for the first, I want to say, 60, 60, 70k, maybe lo- no longer than that because it was it was actually well by Bonnie Bridge before I, the, the rain stopped. But at the start, you're down at the start, and um, Paul Giblin came along and he ran the first. Well, he ran to Balak with me um, for the first wee bit, and there was just loads of people out out there meeting us. Graham Connolly, um, so a wee special mention for Graham Connolly because he messaged me to say how did I get a mention in this podcast last week. Um, <laughs> He 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 messaged he he cycled alongside me for a wee while to get me onto the trails that take you towards Carbeth. It was just really nice. There was loads of people would come out and meet you. You know, random people pop up in random places, even though the weather was rubbish. I've lost the um, the name of the chap in my head, but there was a guy who just popped out of nowhere near Carbeth. It was like who who knew me through social media ran me. You just get loads of that happening on the day. So you kind of the first few miles, although drenched, just kind of flew by. You know, you're kind of just like jogging along it's not too hard it's early in the run but I was absolutely soaked uh, absolutely soaked but it was going okay right the worst thing was to manage was your feet because obviously you don't want any any damage there just compounds I was like toothache really and um, so my dad was crewing for me and my dad well, my mate Alan crewed for me and um, for the first to Croy basically and then my dad picked up and took us home and um, took us all the way through to Dunbar from there but he was having to clean my feet for me that's dedication right dedication you can get somebody willing to clean your feet for you and change your trainers and um, you know you've made it so it was really plain sailing for there up over croy hill i've got to croy and there was loads of people around really really nice come off croy hill managed to no fall on my arse which was a bit of success and then you hit the canal towpath right and the canal towpath like you're in 24 hour running zone at that point because you're just, just shuffling along happy just to knock out kind of slow miles and just churn churn up the ground because all you're trying to do really is eat the ground you, you run along that canal for 20 miles apart from going over rough castle fort um 
the can Antonine Wall at Falkirk, you're basically just running along canal for the, the, the majority of the run. So there's the, the, aesthetically it's not like a West Highland Way or or you know some of the great trails in the north of Scotland and what have you, because you're really kind of going through the central belt. So you're kind of moving from you see Loch Lomond a wee bit and all of that stuff, but really what you're doing is just focusing on what's ahead rather than getting distracted on by what's around because it's like I'm pushing towards a finish. So the first half went really well. Then the the rain comes off, the rain goes off, sorry, and it and it's just like it starts to become a lovely night. And then, <laughs> so I'm just chundering along, Ian beating Sandra out, kind of like they giving us a cheer and everybody's kind of shouting. And then I get to, um, I think it's Hopeton House, it's called, out near South Queensferry. It's loads of sheep and all that about, right? So, um, you know, no my thing, but I know the guys up north have been their element. But anyway, I'm kind of running by the sheep. And this guy's just standing, a random runner. So by this point, I'm thinking every runner out is out to see me, right? Because everybody's been high-fiving and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know kind of running up to the guy and the guy's like all right mate are you steve and i was like ah, no mate i'm james and i just ran on and about two two three miles later this guy same guy comes herring up behind me sweating knackered and he's like i've sprinted the last couple of miles to catch you up man it turns out it was steve who shared your facebook post <laughs> so some guy steve had shared his post so he's thinking i'm looking for steve but he's looking for me and i never knew the guy never knew the guy from adam but the fact was <laughs> people are coming out to meet you but really see to be honest with you see because i had the gpx on my watch and and i kind of knew i knew almost all of it pretty uh-huh. much from not so much from helensburg but pretty much from balak through to um edinburgh i kind of knew where i was going Roughly, apart, I got lost a wee bit actually um, trying to find Bowness just because it's a wee bit quirky, but that, that maybe cost me about 10 minutes or something like that. But in the end, I got back to where I needed to be. But other than that, there was no stress till you get into Edinburgh. And then it's like you're trying to find your way about the mean streets of Edinburgh. And by the way, have you seen how posh some of the houses are when you come into Edinburgh? <laughs> After you come out to Domenia Estate, and it's like, Aye. this is where J.K. Rowland lives, and this is where, I don't know, all these, just these rich people. Have you guys, you, you see these houses? Uh, John's <laughs> got a gaff there. Is he? <laughs> I thought I, I thought I seen it. There was a, like a tricolour in the window. <laughs> That's for an island they're playing rugby. I pop in. Uh, um, but you know that way you were just you're just breezing through. But and then people would pop up. There was a few people popped up in Edinburgh, and then the bold Adrian Clark, um, Adrian Clark, sorry, Adrian Stott, um, come up on his bike and stuff. And Adrian's just like, I mean, if you don't know Adrian, right? People, anyone listening to this in Scotland who knows about ultra running knows Adrian. So for the two people who don't know Adrian, is there's nothing he doesn't know about ultra running um, in general, um, and he's behind either he's either in front of or behind a lot of the brilliant things that we do in, in running in Scotland, particularly at ultra distance level. But even things like the 5K Championship that was on this weekend, that event, the Silver Now's 5K that Run and Become um, get involved in, Adrian is just an absolute legend and diamond of the sport. So he's cycling along with me, just giving me the chat and the encouragement, and he's quite. Um, quite zen Adrian so he's always fully the kind of stay stay grounded chat and all that stuff and he's just the kind of guy you need to hear he didn't go up Christophe and Hill with me though he let me go up that myself he's like you just pop on on your way up there and uh, off he went so going through Edinburgh was great because then a couple other folks come out and met me Martin Little um, a big shout out for him he came out to run a few miles with me and ended up running 13 miles without any food um, and well I think a pair of white Zekis on so he then had to run back and then Helen, Helen Faulkner and Scott Craighead, they cycled along with me for ages. So they got me through Edinburgh, um, which was great. But then it started to get dark. And I don't know if you've ever ran, uh, 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 well, you have, John, because you've done the West Highland Way. But when you run an ultra from daylight to dark, 
it can be really quite, it, it can really be quite, I don't disconcerting or discombobulating in the sense that your, your senses start to go and the tiredness can hit you really hard, especially when it's a, a, a long one like that. So that was, the, I was sick at that point. That's I was sick. for John, James. Is it? Aye. Aye. <laughs> They'll go to that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, longest day of the year, 50k, ah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, you get, you get so so. I, I was sick at that point, but Robert Turner came and ran the last 50k with me, our last 30, 34, 35 mile or whatever. So it was great having Robert there. He's such a such a good guy, and he just kind of guided me through, chatted me through, even at the point, there was a point, there's a point where you run along the beach at East Linton or something like that. I started to get lost with all these names for Edinburgh, right? You run along this beach at East Linton, honestly, every step felt like I was lifting a two-ton weight and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just muttering under my breath a bit, like, you know, like Muttley from Dick Dastley and from beach sand and all that stuff. But Robert was like, he was good at keeping me, keeping me going through that. And he knew the area so he could then describe what was ahead to give you that optimism because sometimes the worst thing you can do is when you're in a, a, a bad spot is sink into that spot rather than lifting yourself up and out and looking ahead so Robert was helping me with that and it was brilliant just brilliant having his company and having the chat with him for for so long but one of the most striking things about the run was we got into North Berwick right and it was one of the sunrises that you cannot only get in Scotland but you probably get them in other countries right but obviously Scotland's the best wee country in the world and all that stuff and you've got this sunrise coming up for the east up over North Berwick Law we're just kind of we're running down through North Berwick and then we can you turn around to come up towards running you don't up, run up the law you run round it and then you head towards um, uh, the, the start heading what east from there and it's like four four half four in the morning or something like that we get there maybe even earlier and then this old boy just appears out of nowhere this old boy Sandy comes out puff of smoke it's like and you know that way you're like you're, you're in shorts and a long sleeve top so there's definitely nothing dodgy going on here you know what i mean you're just hanging about the bottom of the law because that's what they do in north berwick because you don't know with these posh folk right but then he's like ah, you the guy's doing this thing and he thought robert was doing it because he looked more knackered than me you know he's like ah, it must be that guy there but in reality it was me and he's like ah, he says i was just i was following on twitter so i thought i'd come out and run with you boy was 70 right well, he still is 70 um, oh. and he ran he ran with us and he kept up with us no bother and I know we're at the end of a long run but he, he just glided along beside us Sandy he, he was he turned 70 earlier this year and nobody did for his 70th birthday he ran 70k it's like I'll just you know so see when you aspire to be, be somebody like that you know you're like I'm just plodding along I'm in my you know mid 40s just plodding along for one side of the country and I'd seen a guy doing that and he was explaining the 70k route he was going to do and you're just like I want to be like you when I grow up. Me and Robert were blown away with this guy. And then he ran out six or seven miles out of his and then went back. So by that point, I've got whatever it is, maybe seven miles. I'm a wee bit sketchy in the detail, right? I've got seven miles to go. And I kind of realised that if I do that seven miles in under an hour, I'll break 22 hours. That was the thing. So there was no target. There was no major target. There was a kind of rough time plan that we had just so you can work out your aid station stuff. So it was like, then we decided to put the boot down. And for the last seven miles, it gave you a reason to push hard because at the end of the day, I knew I was breaking the FKT. I could have walked it in with seven miles to go and still broke it. But there's still, you still want to put down a marker, you know, still a competitive element to you. So Robert and I were like, right, let's push this and, you know, we'll see if we can do those last seven miles in under an hour, which at the end of that run, going over that terrain with the hills and the steps and that that you've got to do, it was, it was a wee bit of a push. 
but it was nice. And then Mark Munro, if you don't know Mark, he's the um, the CEO of Scottish Athletics. He lives in Dunbar, so he appeared out of nowhere with a bike. And then we got a bit of encouragement from him and a, a couple of local guys ran with So all the way along, I reckon I only ran maybe 30, 30, 40 miles on my own. You just had company all the way. Just apart from Robert coming out to run the last 50k because he lives in Musselbros, he's like, I'll just come and run with you. The plan was just running my own, but you end up with loads of company. It was really cool. And then come bouncing into Dunbar, you run along a golf course, and then every now and then somebody be like, oh, there's a couple of flights of steps you need to go up. And they're no kidding you, man. It's like, makes the ones in Rocky look like two wee steps into a corner shop. You're like, what's this? Where's the statue of me at the top of this? But, um, it was brilliant because once you get close to Dunbar and you can see it and you can see the golf course, you can kind of smell the finish line. And I don't know about you guys, when I'm around running a long run like that, I always get a wee bit, they always, there's always a wee bit more you can give. And I like to try and get that wee bit more. You know, squeeze that bit of juice out your, your kind of internal running lemon. So in the end, I, I, I can't remember the exact time. It was like 21.52 or something like that. So we covered the last seven miles in 52 minutes or something like that, just to kind of get under the 22 hours. And it was nice... And the chair of the John Muir Trust or whatever it is was there waiting on me. But because the wee birthplace thing was shut, he wrote me up a certificate, actually hand wrote me a certificate with a wee IOU. I'm invited back down at some point to go and get it. But they were kind of blown away by the fact that somebody would do it in under a day. But it was a really nice thing to do. It's the first time I've attempted an FKT, but it won't be the last. So, mm. Sorry, I'm a wee bit blown away by just listening to that. I've, I've read your blogs blog about it. I watched a wee video again tonight about it and I'm, you've, you've just explained to the wee guy with the clipboard was at the door. Aye. That was, that was, I was going to ask you, who was the wee dude? Because it was, sorry, I didn't mean he was wee, but he was just he was like a, an old guy, wasn't he? Yeah. And I thought, guys just run 134 miles and you want to hear a chat with him? And you were just sort of leaning against the windy. <laughs> He's standing there with his clipboard and I'm thinking, who is that? Because I know you had your support team and that there. But that is, honestly, hearing you describe it, gives so much more to it than reading text on a screen, you know, reading the blog or the race report, whatever you want. Hearing you describe it paints it so much. Yeah, oh, thank you. And, and the so thing is, there's no, there's, there wasn't a lot of attritional, um, you know, it wasn't these big daft dark moments. And sometimes you're looking for that in a story and it's like, sometimes mm-hmm. days go really well. And apart from being sick and I was like, hey, Bob, you should have got a photo of that. That'd have been good. Um, <laughs> apart from that, we about a, a wee bit of sickness at 100 miles. And it was really just a case of getting the salt and sugar levels right, you know. So yeah. a wee bit of flat coke with some some salt and vinegar Pringles and away you went again. Um, aside from that, it was pretty, pretty plain sailing. Ah, but plain sailing, or maybe you call it well-managed. Rather than well, plain sailing, you know? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd trained really hard and I'd planned it out pretty well. And I had my eventualities planned. And my dad was crewed for me, and, as I mentioned earlier. And he, I mean, he's been around the world with me, as I've talked about a little bit last week. So you've got somebody who knows how to deal with you and basically knows, mm. when to, knows when to, you know, cuddle you and knows when to kick you. I'll get a cuddle one day, I guess. It's more mainly kicks. But no, actually, in all, in all seriousness, it's that balance of going, right, I trust you. How am I looking? How's things doing? Right, okay, off you go. No faffing about. No, I just sit there and have a wee break. It's like, you know, you're burning time. Get moving. Yeah. I always call that that sort of, for those who haven't maybe seen the film or describe it, it's a Papillon moment. Papillon? The Papillon, yeah. Film. Yeah, yeah. Aye, so he puts his head through the cell door. They're both in the jail. He puts his head through the cell door and he says to uh, Steve McQueen, how am I looking? He's ah, oh, looking great, man. He looks like shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you need somebody like your dad who's going to tell you how it is 
and it's yeah. got to be it's got to be real. You know, I think as well when you're saying that you said at the start there wasn't many options, and you just described there coming to Dunbar about the steps and stuff. And that's a 12-minute video, and you know what I love about the video? It's all folks sort of wee social media clips. People yes. that you met along the way, and you that's mentioned right. people like Adrian and Ian and Sandra Beatty, they're all in there, and it's all their clips that have been put together. We'll put a link to that video definitely in the in the in the show notes. And there's a bit um but there's a bit at the end where you're coming into Dunbar and you're skipping up these steps. Seriously. And yeah. you must be 132, 133 miles in. Yeah, and these steps up. are in the last mile. They're in Aye. the last mile, those steps. And um, there's two two flights of them, yeah. But I just felt really good. You've got that finishers, your finishers adrenaline kind of starts Aye. to kick in. So it's like, and, and it's almost like the story I was telling you last time about the pain goes away. You've kind of like, uh, you know what? Uh, if, if I decided to walk up these steps, I'd be making a choice not to push myself hard. And therefore, and I can reconcile if that's a choice I would make, but actually, I was feeling good. There was people there supporting me, had a target, and I'd ran really well for the last seven seven or eight miles. So why wouldn't I want to finish strong, you know? Um, so that was my thinking. Stephen speaks about that. It's like a magnet, isn't it, Stephen? You, you described before, or a force. I, I speak about it as if it's like a tractor beam, you know, the finish line yeah. tractor beam, like on Star Trek. like Set phasers or, to Malky and all that. Aye, that? And, and, that? And, yeah, it's actually you're just getting pulled to along to the finish line, and it's involuntary in my head. And I'm just like that. Oh, I can. And it, it, as you get nearer the finish line, for me, it gets stronger. That the, the force, you know. And yeah. if I'm sometimes thinking that in my head, you know, then that's a positive, and I feel that pull to the finish line, and that's what, what John's describing. I'm looking just now at the, um, and for I think we'll put a link of this on the notes as well. The FKT website fastestknowntimes.com your time on the John Muir way is also listed on that um, it's a great website to check out just for a spend a um, half hour or an hour non-working days <laughs> or whatever <laughs> your lunch um, break. yeah 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 it's, it's dead interesting um, and it goes around all the world and stuff like that but it's great to see you know more Scottish ones emerging I fancy doing like an FKT you know just like instead of Strava segments just call them FKTs they're all well, little FKTs the, the, there's there's some argument for that right and the, I think there's there's probably there's probably kind of classic FKTs like the the Appalachian Trail or the Rimpy Rim and, uh, you know or, or a West Highland Way or or what have you and I think established trails for me are kind of your classic FKTs which is why the the John Muir Way could be you know more a classic one or the Ayrshire Coastal Path or the Fife Coastal Path trails. yeah the Catran so things that are established point to point trails then you can make up your your own ones um, which people do like Ian Stewart did the Cairngorm Four Thousands which you know earlier they called it a park run but it was really over six days you know which is just insane in terms of capturing all those Monroes so you can do you can do things but fundamentally and if you're listening to this the, the the only limit to what you do is likely to be your imagination yeah yeah and maybe your ambition yeah and how brave you are but if you can imagine it you can do it oh I like that man I like that I like that okay listen have you got more you want to speak about the John Muir way with, with James Stephen because I'm um, oh. No, 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 I think that, that be happy with that, that yeah, because that leads what James has just said there leads perfectly into two things I want to speak about. James is actually, before I do that, you mentioned Graham Connolly, 
Graham Conley recorded a great podcast with Caroline Mackay. It's called yeah. Of Mountains and Minds. So we'll link that in the show notes as well because it is a really, really good listen. Really, sorry, man. It's getting longer and longer, this list. But th- these are all the things that I listen to and get inspired by, you know? Yeah, and you're going to end up with more links than Mr. T's Chains here, but, you know, you should just get, get, do it. But, yeah, that podcast that Graham did with... Um, with Caroline was brilliant and he speaks really from the heart and uh, and and you know all joking aside um when I was kind of joking about him having a wee a wee barb actually the guy has got so much to give and so much experience to share on that particular subject and uh, has a level of authenticity that is often missing from these conversations so if you're ever going to have a conversation on that subject get Graham in he's Aye. such a great guy Definitely, definitely do that. Um, so the two things I want to speak about, the first thing you've already alluded to, and that was uh, Ali Bevan's book. Now, yeah. unfor- unfortunately, us mere mortals can't get it to the morrow. You've obviously got an advanced copy of it. I've tried to get it today, and I can get it tomorrow on my Kindle. So um, I've done yeah. that. I'm waiting for it being posted. I'm really looking forward to reading it. That's a whole book about FKTs, isn't it? It is, and it's it's brilliant. And so, actually, if you'd ordered it from Vertebrate Publishing as a physical form, it, they were they were dropping early. But yeah, you know, obviously, it was kind enough to um, send us a copy out, so got a chance to have a wee read at it. Not, I mean, literally just the other day. Um, and it is, if you don't know Ali, follow Ali Bevan on Twitter if you don't already. If you're listening, because there's he, he's like a professional dot watcher now but also <laughs> um he's really connected he's he, he's it's kind of really connected into what's going on in the community and knows a lot about what fkt attempts are happening or are have happened and how they link up to history but he writes that he's quite a sardonic and witty guy so when you listen to it when you read it you kind of read it in the way that he writes some of his tweets and his posts and he's he's no well he's no scared to be a wee bit controversial with his views as well um, so he's no he's no just going in there and writing it from the the point of view of being safe to sell. You know mm-hmm. the first few pages you've got a few a few um, you know swear words kicking in right away and you're going right this guy's down he's down with it it's going to be good stories, and he spent time in the company a lot of these guys. So I met him actually when I ran um, I, I ran for a couple of days with Dan Lawson and Lejog. Um, Ali was out that night as well, and I got to spend a bit of time with him and just a just a good guy. But he writes some of this stuff brilliantly and it's first-hand accounts as well from all the people involved so he interviewed all the people that are in the book so it's really really good get get your hands on it um because it's a true reflection of ultra running in the uk in the last last year i've got to say for listeners that james was not in our pre-production meeting that steve and i had but you're segueing things in absolutely brilliantly oh. so thank you for that but a wee bit on ali ali bevan i hadn't really heard that he wasn't on my radar until I seen a photograph two or three weeks ago he was sitting signing about 300 books or something it was a photograph of him sitting signing them and then that's when he first came to my attention so it's great I love the fact I can go and find out a wee bit more about folk I now follow him on Twitter and he posted a thing about um, the jam my favorite band he posted a thing about um, the wine will be flat and the curry's gone cold and he says is this a thing or is it only Paul Weller that drinks fizzy wine with curry? You know what I mean? It's that's way down the tube station at midnight. <laughs> that lyric. So I'm right in there. If he's coming out with stuff like that, I love that sort of stuff. So yeah, he sounds like like my, my kind of guy. You mentioned He's also book. a big Bewitched fan though, John, right? Just so Stephen doesn't feel left out. He's a big oh, Bewitched well. fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you opened, yeah. You opened that door, man. 
James, John's trying to give me a musical education at the moment because I need it. I definitely need it. But he's doing a he's doing a mighty fine job. I must say. Good. So good. We can also much. share some of John's podcasts on the show notes. Seeing there's a <laughs> bloody eternal list of shit going on there. So, yeah. There right. You go. Right. You mentioned there. Now this is a, a, another phenomenal story. Dan Lawson. Um, oh yeah. The La Jog, which is Land's End to Johnny Groats, his film premiered last week at the, I think, is it the... The Kendall it, Mountain Festival, yeah. Kendall Mountain yeah. Festival, um, called Breaking Ten. Um, you played a big a part, a big part in that. James, you're in the film and you were there on the day. Can you tell us a wee bit of an insight about Dan? Steve and I have both met him, but... Yep. You yeah, and so first, first of all, I didn't play a big part in it. I, I, I rocked up outside Aviemore. And I ran with him for a couple of days or a day and a half towards the end of his thing and up that bloody A9. Um, um, so, Dan, I, I say this without fear or favour. It's quite simply one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet in your life. And and if anyone says, well, I think I'm nicer than Dan, then, you know, I'll be like, nice to meet you, Gandhi. You know, you know what I mean? Because he's, he's just like... I've never heard Dan saying a bad word about anybody and I've only ever seen him giving encouragement and love and respect. And the only thing he'll speak bad about is consumerism in the sense of how how it how it's not great for the environment and actually probably not great for mankind in terms of our psyche. And he's really passionate about that through his rerun clothing stuff that him and Charlotte do. And there is absolutely no way I could have allowed Dan to be doing all the jog coming up through Scotland without getting the opportunity to spend some time supporting him on it. And he's achieved amazing things in the sport. He's ran and placed at Badwater. He's been European 24-hour champion, which is, you know, you don't do that by luck. He, um, I think he had the record that the, um, one of the big canal races, the Grand Union Canal race, when him and Paddy Robbins had an epic battle. He's done all sorts of stuff in the sport. He's won races you know, in con- you know, in China, he's won races in Europe, he's won races, I think he might have won races in America, but moreover, he just wants to give energy back in a positive sense. And he's the kind of person you cannot be around without feeling better for being in his company. That's mm-hmm. probably how I would describe Dan Lawson. I'm sitting here smiling at you describing Dan Lawson because I totally get that. Yeah. He's the most, I don't know him personally, I've met him a couple of times, but I listen to I, here we go again. I listen to his podcast that he they, 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 having James, yeah and, yeah, and but he is so humble. You know what I mean? He deflects everything away from himself. He just it's just yeah. spread, it's spreading the love, you know, and that, that lover running and very, as you say, very passionate about the rerun stuff. The film, if people haven't seen it, you can get it. You can buy it on Vimeo. It was give me the producer's name, Dave McFarlane. Yeah, produced it. I think it's three, it's it's less than three pound fifty. No, it's three pound seventy five. It's three pound seventy five, right? Yeah. I've watched it four times since Friday. I absolutely love it. You know, it's really it's a great story. And you know what? I'd love to see. There must be about another bloody twenty hours of footage that he could make all the other stuff out of. But it really does. He's done a great job, Dave McFarlane, and summing all that up. Um, and, and you know, none of that's put on. I mean, you see Dan at the side of the road. See the, the, the day when he goes into the van and he's like, ah, right, that's nighttime now. So I was with him at that point and he was going through a really serious wobble. I mean, I'm talking a really serious wobble. So I ran with him from, I don't know, about 20 miles outside Aviemore into Aviemore, 
give or take me jumping back to get my car. And then the next day I was going to run all the way to Brora with them and then get a run back to my car in Aviemore and drive home, so whatever it would take. But it was just clear that the the weight of the eight or nine days that had gone before would just, you know, they were really, they were in his bones. But what was incredible about it, and you see me saying in the video about how he started off like a zombie movie, but now he's like a bad guy in a horror film. He's just getting to this shuffle pace, 11 minute miles. And it was just like, shuffle it out, shuffle it out, shuffle it out. Mm. And I'm not kidding you, I'm like bricking it. And these trucks come by, tooting the horn and that stuff. And we were, we were just having some great conversations. Nothing shook him, you know, because what Dan, Dan, he would just draw his, he would draw his energy into himself and then just look to kind of push on. And there was times when you wouldn't speak. It was just like you knew not to speak. And there was times where we spent about an hour and a half going up the A9 and we basically came with our all-time West Ham and Celtic 11s. <laughs> but we were but we were allowed three ringers in the team. Um so um in order to then put those teams together, you know, and we were just doing that and then obviously my team would debate his team and blah blah blah. But they're just doing these things to distract each other so you can have a conversation like that. And then it was like, right, I I was running with a speaker in my back with a podcast, so he he was just running behind me so he could listen to the podcast. He was just doing stuff like that and everything was in service of the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step get some food in you and he's got an amazing team about him you know I mean you're on that video you're watching Robbie Britton is an absolute legend and gave himself over just to being there for Dan but not to be oh come on mate it was like tough love and Mm -hmm. Charlotte is twice as tough because she's like I'm committing to this as well so I'm I'm in here with you to help you so I'm going to push you you know she's like right on it sergeant major type stuff in terms of Checklist, how is he? Da 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 get going. And then Mick, who Mick's crews for me at the twenty-four, he's crewed for me at the last two twenty-fours. So you see Mick in it. Just a lovely guy who's got no history in the sport at all. Get into it through knowing Robbie and all of a sudden he's driving however many miles, eight hundred and seventy miles with Dan up there. And he's he's supported them in his, his previous attempt as well. That's the kind of people you get in this sport. You've got mm-hmm. Richard supporting, and the story you won't you won't have picked this up from the video, but I want to make a point here about a guy called Alan Rankin. Alan Rankin's a physio for the Great Britain twenty four hour team, right? And this this is this is this is not a mark of Alan. Well, it is, but the point is, is this is what someone like Dan doing something like he's doing with the humility does it with the tracks. Alan Rankin lives out. He's got his practices out in Kirkintilloch. He drove to Warrington. And then drove to Kendall. So he drove to Warrington and back the same night to give Dan a massage. Then he drove to Kendall and back the next night. Then he drove to Moffat or wherever it was. He drove and then he drove to Perth. And then he didn't come to Aviemore because he had work on that night and he felt really bad about it. Then he was going to Brora. So he went for five nights driving mm-hmm. all the way up the country just to give Dan a massage, to give him that chance. That's the kind of people when you're humble, and inspiring you attract and yeah and alan alan is an example of not just what people will do for you but also the kind of people who are involved in this sport um, and no one no one listening to this probably even know who he is but he's the he's the physio at the last gb24 and he's like i'll do it. you he's, he, i mean this guy's um this guy was given physio and support to laura muir and Gemma Rieke earlier this year because they live nearby and obviously he couldn't access the normal the normal doctors but he's, he works with gba gymnastics and athletics and he's just been away with the skeleton crew but he's like ultra running is the sport i just can't get my head around what you guys do to yourselves out there mentally and physically is just like blows my mind mm. but That's also there's no there's no egos he also recognizes the lack of ego and loves it 
Yeah. I was, um, there's two quick things. I went up the Edinburgh Road when Dan and the, his, the guys were coming into Perth as he was going through. And I was standing, Stephen will know what I'm talking about, just halfway up between Tesco's and Fryerton, Stephen. Other supermarket chains are available. But anyway, that's where I was. And Dan was coming down the Edinburgh Road. And I, I can remember shouting it. Come on, Danny boy! He'd be like, "Who's that idiot?" Right? But then that that day or that night, it rained really heavy. There was honestly, there was lightning. It was unbelievable. I think they'd experienced it further down the road. Yeah. But what happened? I looked at the map when I come home. The proposed map, and what they were proposing to do, Stephen, was come off at Fairfield, yeah. run up over the white at the white bridge, run up the laid side. But that day before to get down the tune I cycled that way and it was up to my knees and water flooded right so I went back up and that way and I thought nah this isn't changing so the next morning I got up and I ran down to the corner of the fuse road where is where these these roads join up and I got a hold of Robbie and I went Robbie that's flooded that way and you're talking about Robbie's Robbie's quite tough he went how much flooded (laughs) no it's up to your knees so we took a quick detour another 200 yards onto the Dunkeld Road and then it was on the sort of main road up to the A9. But it was just phenomenal, the that that film. But also, going back to your FKT, the same kind of people were supporting you. You know, it, it's just brilliant, that ultra-ultra community we've got in Scotland. Yeah, know? yeah. It's a niche sport, but people love it. Um, you know, you, you're you're right into it, you know, and 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 it's great to see because there's a lot of familiar faces, but there's also a lot of new faces, and it's mm-hmm. exciting to see what some some people are doing with the sport as well. Yeah, but yeah, so that answers your question on Dan. He's just a good, he's a good guy. I also can't believe that John played pretty much as big a part as you did. So you ran for a day and a half. John directed them on a different road because a wee flood. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a wee flood, man. So you you get wet feet and that's horrible. So I I I played my wee chinky part in there by helping by helping uh, Dan and, and Robbie make that decision. Also, the the last wee thing I want to speak about here is I mentioned about me shouting "Mon Danny boy." There's a brilliant bit in your video, James, when you come into Bonnie Bridge. I don't know who it is, but it's oh, a Scottish thing. Somebody yeah. shouts, Mon Jamesy boy! It's just a that, Scottish thing that folks shout. It's absolutely brilliant, you know? Yeah, that's my mate Drummy there. He, him and his wee boy mate is there. Yeah. Good boy after your name. Good boy after everything. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I was going to ask you a question, James, around about... You, you spoke about last time when you were doing, like, your, your first marathon attempts in 40 and you were doing 100-mile months and thinking you were training like a beast. Now, I follow you in Strava. And I know, I know that you now do almost that in a week. Mm-hmm. That'd be about right. Yeah, it's not far off. Probably average about eighty over the course uh, of a year. I'll average about eighty-five to yeah, yeah, ninety a week. Yeah. So do you know you're up around about three hundred and fifty miles a month? Yeah, yeah. Well, consistent. yeah, usually more than that. Yeah, yeah. Consistent, and you can't run that amount of miles. Well, I don't think you can um, because I've never ran that amount of miles so consistently over a, such a long period of time as you do without it taking its toll somehow on your body yeah you know um focused recovery is something that we wanted to to speak about and why it's so important yeah so oh, let's, 
Re recovery, right? So recovery is the most underrated and maybe the most important part of training because it's where you give yourself the space and in, in which to then, you know, take on the training load or build that load or or, or absorb the adaptations from the training you're undertaking. Because people, one one of the things that really grates me and rips my knitting is people who do all the runs around the same pace and don't know the difference between running slow and running fast. And, and what they'll do is they'll get into that vicarious and Strava's, Strava's really evil for that in terms of people then get into the, well, he's doing this, so I'll do that, or she's doing this, so I'll do that, rather than it should be about you and your body is unique to you, right? And there is no formula that you can apply to everyone. So it's about understanding yourself and your body. So recovery actually starts before training. So it starts with good practices around prehab, stretching, mobility, a wee bit of strength work, even just a minimal amount will make a big difference. Um, and then it starts after after you're running where you you know like you you take your recovery seriously so we see, i mean you see people who will maybe run an ultra race on a saturday and then run on the monday and it'll be they'll say on the strava thing i felt like shit and you're like M maybe you shouldn't be running and 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 i can't stress enough just how important it is to listen to your body monitor things like your rest and heart rate if you if it's something if you understand it and make sure that, that um, that's recovering and getting back to normal levels but also when you go out to do an easy run have an idea about how you should be feeling so there's a bit about how you sense your feeling and you know understand your body but you can use metrics like heart rate and stuff as well and you shouldn't be pushing yourself into the red zone all the time because what you're doing is you're narrowing the range of your training stimulus and as a result, you're actually pushing and putting on incremental load, which is a one-way ticket towards injury or fatigue. And you see that with people who end up with over um, overtraining syndrome, who they go, oh, I've just done 600 milers and I don't understand what's going on. You know, I should, I'm fine, I ran 100 milers last month. I don't understand why I'm knackered. And it's like, because you ran 100 milers last month. And the, and, and the other thing with that is, is just psychologically, you need the break. You can't just keep going and going and going to that well. So having a plan around how to recover is really important. And I might look like I'm doing loads of miles, um, but a lot of them are really quite slow. And a lot of them, and that's relative, right? And a lot of them, so I'll run, my easy pace will be one and a half to two minutes a mile slower than I would run a marathon at, which isn't even my fastest pace, you know? And that's always my indicator is, is if I'm not running, and then you see people, I see people who are, 30 minutes slower than me in a marathon doing recovery runs quicker than I do and it was like it just blows my head but you know people don't understand that so recovery isn't just sitting a bit on your ass and doing nothing recovery can be active it can be out doing a walk it can be doing stretching doing a bit of yoga the point is is you're actually what you're trying to do is give your body space in which to absorb and absorb and get the benefit from the training by absorbing and then allowing the adaptations to take place because you train in order to get stronger or faster or fitter but if you don't give your body the space to do that, you compromise its ability to do that because you then overload the training on already kind of, um, for want to use a better phrase, already kind of um, rift fibers where you're you're kind of you've been trying to get them ready to get stronger, but actually you've not allowed it to get stronger, and then you've asked it to do more. So I know I sound like I'm getting really passionate about this, but it's because I have not had touch wood, I've not had an injury of any note ever in my ultra running career but it's also wow. because it's also because i mean if you if you look if you wanted to look back over it i'll have consistently done four thousand miles a year for the last four or five years I've and worked. it's not like one month on one month off it's just a consistent run because mm. i know when to push and obviously paul really helps with that but also know when to go i need to hold back yeah 
So when you're saying you need to hold back, is that your is that you listening to your body? Well, there's there's two bits of that, John. Right, you know that you know you, so some people think, for example, they train, they train, they train, and then maybe they, they go to do a race in the DNF or something like that, and they're like, well, I'll just go straight back into training. But recovery is not just from the event; it's from the block of training that led to the event because it's cumulative. It's mm-hmm. not just the oh, I had I done the West Highland Way and I didn't go the way I expected. It took me ten hours longer, so I didn't burn as much energy. Actually, you're you're, you're recovering from the sixteen weeks leading up to it as well. So it's it's knowing that understanding the science behind that so that you don't get bogged into ego-led decisions, which is I must do more because social media tells me I should or Strava tells me I should. But actually, your ego's in check to get your body in its best shape possible. So there's a bit about listening to your body. There's a bit about ignoring external stimuli that can cause you to make bad decisions. And there's a bit about just keep your ego in check and actually look after your body in the long term. Longevity is the number one thing you should be looking at. And how many ultra runners do you know who go, Bum, 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 brilliant, and then burn. You never see them again. They burn out like the brightest star. I'm like, I want to be doing this when I'm 60. So, 70. Exactly. I, I'm not sure I'll reach 60, 70 as an age, but yeah, I want to be doing this the rest of my life, and therefore I want to be able to do it in a sustainable way. And recovery and being serious about that is the only way I'll achieve that. It's the that, only way I'll achieve it. That's, um, I found that really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to speak to you tons about that but I know that that's, we've not got time for that but you've sparked a, a, a fair few thoughts in my head there so I think this you. this whole episode is a, a, a belter already but I tell you for people who are runners or just started running want to find out about running thinking about going out to ultra running that last 10 minutes is pure gold absolute mm-hmm. gold there's Phenomenal advice in there. You know what, actually, Stephen, if you just can it after this, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> there you go, man. No, nah, man, we've got, we've got coffee cups now. Oh, of course, I've got cups, what cups now. That's right. Oh. That's right. And I tell you, I run, I run now, so I can run like Sandy when I'm seventy. I love that story about the there guy. North exactly. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. James, we got a couple of questions for listeners, didn't we, Stephen? We did. We did. We um, in a in a first for us. Um, we got a couple of interactions on our social channels, so to speak. And well, we've got Drew Summerton of Dunning, which is about five miles to Ochnerarda. I maybe know Drew. Um, he um, is a a quickly improving ultra runner um, yeah. and, and he, he takes it serious and he trains like a, he's up in his load and I run with him from time to time and I can see vast improvements in him but he's done a couple of ultras, he did self-transcendence 50k he's done like run the blades you know, up to 50ks, I know him enough to think to myself he would want wanted to do better or he want to improve and he's wondering how you cope with the mental side of running long races so that suffering that we kind of know um how do you cope with that what's your coping mechanism well you've got two choices when the suffering comes along right you can either embrace it or you can allow it to own you simple as that and if you're going to do ultras you better embrace it because it's it's a byproduct to what you do people ordinary people don't do ultras in the sense of you don't just step in there you know people think 5k to 10k is a big leap but when you're into the ultras the leap goes from the body to the head i would i would argue that training the mind or at least stimulating and having mental coping mechanisms is as important as your physical stimulus so for me 
I'll have all sorts of things. I mean, I'm I'm really quite strong and determined in my mind anyway. So once I set my mind to something, I'll do that. And, and I'll give you an example. There's um there's a, a a run I did last weekend, and it was like it's basically Croy Hill, right? You can approach it from three different sides, and it was boggy, ankle deep in mud at times. But I decided I wanted to get a, like a 50k with about 6,000 feet of elevation in it. So the way to do that was just to go up Croy Hill, up one way, down the other, back up, down another hill, back up, and just do that. And I got to about 29 miles and I was like, I'm a bit done here. I've achieved what I needed today. And as a result of that, this is an example of where my mind will work on it. And as a result of actually having a thought that I might give in a couple of miles earlier than I wanted to, I ended up doing an extra mile just to kind of reinforce the point that I shouldn't be thinking like that. But <laughs> yeah, but you have, to, you have to work your mind in a, in a way that you have to work out what your 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 why is. And once you know your why, you go back to that at the points where it's a struggle. So your why might be to make yourself proud. It might be intrinsic. It might be something like, I, I set myself that goal that day and it was for no one else. It might be extrinsic. And that's where something like Strava can become really powerful for you because you want to, for want to use a better phrase, show off. And if you're showing off in a non egotistical look at me way but actually doing it in a way to be vicarious and inspire others I think that's brilliant um, or it might be any number of things but if you know your why then the mental side is the mental side becomes so much easier so when you're going into an event if you're going into an event and you're maybe not excited in the morning of it you might even question why even bother starting but if you're excited about it keep that in mind when you struggle and listen I could do a, a story I could tell you a story and it's a story that you'd need a lot longer on right but at the 2017 European Championships, no, 2018 European Championships. My wife had been diagnosed with cancer earlier that year and it was touch and goes to whether I would go. And then I was having the most horrible race. And the, then that why of why I was there, the sacrifices she'd made and all that stuff came to me. After that, it was like, nothing could stop me. I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a juggernaut. I wasn't really, I was running like nine minute miles, right? But it doesn't matter, it's 24 hours, so that's all right. But the point was, is like, you just got your head into that space and all my physical debilitations on that day were being driven by the way I was thinking. So the statement I would give to Drew and anyone listening is this, you think you're experiencing reality, but you're just experiencing your thinking. So own your thinking and change your reality and make the reality one that you want, not one that you feel has been imposed on you and you'll you'll do well. Oh, Drew, you should see you're going smile. to get an absolute beast in <laughs> You should see the smiles on the faces in here. This is absolutely <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. And you know what, James, just Stephen and I have discussed this. Does that point... Um, I, I totally appreciate we're at all different levels are running here, right? But there's that point where you're feeling absolutely done and you're, every bit of your body's telling you, come on, man, just chuck it, right? But there's that wee bit when you just go over the cusp of that hill and you get a power. Yeah. And what a feeling that is. is. If you could bottle that, man, you'd be a millionaire. Because as you say, you're like that juggernaut and there's yeah. nothing getting in your way. So it's just that, it's that, Going, just keeping that going, but it's recognizing it. I think is the key, isn't it? So yeah, it's it's, it's recognizing it and making choices because you you can choose to push through, or you can choose to stop, but don't make mm -hmm. it about anything else other than your choice. And the choice might be you have to stop. Like I had to do at Glenmore a couple of years ago because of injury. You might have to, but you still make that choice. Reconcile with the choice and move forward. But mm -hmm. control your thinking. Control your thinking. Control your outcome. Fire in the belly, steel in the mind. 
Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's, I think, James, I, I remember tweeting you before I'd done the Devil of the Highlands, just for some positive words, I think. Do you know how you start kind of like, ah, where can I fucking find some positivity for you? And you replied with, with something in 140 characters that basically just summed up what you've just said. Do you know, around about suffering and almost accepting your fate, it made me go and write 10 bullet points. Your message to me made me go write 10 bullet points, which was my coping mechanisms, yeah. my 10 things. And in order, I'll use the first one first when I start struggling. And the first one was maybe like take on some food, you know? Yeah, take, yeah. You know, down to some really deep stuff, you know, that I'll maybe touch on sometime, John. But I think I, I just wanted to say that to you because yeah, no, that, and that's brilliant because ultimately you, you, you know, no one can make your mind. You know, your mind's a muscle, so you have to train it. So no one can make your mind what you don't want it to be. So the minute you have something you want it to be, that's your first step towards making it what you are. So yeah. back to that point, and it all comes down to our our thinking constitutes so much of our success and failure. So no. think success, be successful. A future episode in this season, we'll be talking about Stephen's why. And that's good. one of the things that we're going That'll to be, be good doing. And I tell you... Stephen, Stephen's no way to go near his why yet. Nah, he's been, he's been avoiding it, but I'm chasing him up on it. But, Better that than the, the explicit version, which is Stephen's why's, <laughs> which we don't want to hear about at all. Yeah. Is that the, the ones that resemble your... Um, Nutella Tati Scott. I thought we'd gone for that, you, man. You might be a bit young for us, Steve, but like, Neil for the young ones. Remember, he used to think about me. James, I'm, I'm your senior. That's a compliment. I'm your, I'm your senior. I know I may look these youthful looks, you, you know. You, you must use that sort of beard Grecian 2000 equivalent. It's, or only, like it's only three weeks to Christmas, so get new pants in a wee while, so it'll be all right. Exactly. Oh, man. How do we move on? How do we get a few bewitched pants? Anyway, never mind. But what in that episode, though, that Stephen's going to record with us, the Devil of the Highlands that he just mentioned is his, in my opinion, best race ever. I can guarantee you it's my favourite race ever. We'll explore that. We'll explore that later on. Um, but I, I also think too that the fact, and this comes back to the outrunning community in Scotland, Stephen reached out to you at that time looking for some advice and without hesitation, boom, you come right back to him, you know, so it's yeah. absolutely, and that, that just, that just sums up, it's some, well, I don't want to assume it, but it sums you up to how Stephen and I feel about you, you know, so. Yeah, if somebody's yeah. kind enough to send you a message, then the least you can do is maybe reply. And sometimes you don't get to them all because life gets in the way, but, you know, it's, it's still nice to engage with yeah. people because it's just a, what good humans would do, right? Awesome. You've, you've touched on it, I think, and I think we can guess the answer to this next listener question. JR, John Robb. John Robb. Yeah. A previous guest. A previous guest on the show who's done a number of ultras now as well. But he's interested to know what is your favourite trail route slash race? What's your go-to? Well, my favourite trail route's Croy Hill, right? Um, because it's it's where I grew up, and it's not we're not talking acres. Well, it is acres, but we're not talking like you know hundreds of miles of land here. But you can do a good half marathon and a good ten k 
um, but off-road and you can run across Roman forts, you can run across old railway lines, you can, you know, you can traverse buns and streams, you can get a shot at a rope swing and you can <laughs> run by the shop for a wee kind of just at the end. And it's where I grew up, right? So it's where I do most of my running. I mean, and, and in terms of race, I guess I would never move away from the fact I think it's it's iconic. It's the Bohemian Rhapsody Scottish Trail running in its West Highland way, right? So, you know, other other uh, other races may apply, um, but you'll always go back to that one. It's the one that um, you would come yeah. back to. Yeah, it's magical. It's magical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is, apart from the lock side. Fucking utter fucking purgatory. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that that's 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 your tax for the rest of the beauty. That's what uh, that is. That's a great way of putting it. I love that. And jo- John's got another quick question. Um, what is your go-to post-run refuel? What, what do you right. reach for for that? Um, whether it be a, a sinner type thing or a saint? Well, you? actually, when you talk about recovery, actually, a massive part of recovery is in your nutrition, right? So you should be trying to get, like, so if you've done a long run or you've done a high, uh, uh, like a high intensity session, it's important you get protein back into you to aid muscle recovery, but also carbohydrates, right, to get your glycogen stores back on um, in a good order. So, for example, and this is every single weekend, I'm a bit of a creature of habit with this, every single weekend after my long run, three eggs, three tight scones and a protein drink, like an SIS protein drink. So I got 20 grams of protein through the protein drink, get some liquids back into me, it's 500 ml, and then the eggs will give you another 20 grams of protein and then you'll get uh, um, with the potato scones you'll get some good carbs back in you as well that comes into you a wee coffee alongside that and then a couple hours later a wee bit more protein to aid the recovery and that that is every single week i come in from the run and it's louise will be there and she'll be like ah, do you want me to just just the usual come back i come out and it'll be it'll be ready for me because she's a diamond Um, i need to say that because i think she listened to this podcast last time <laughs> but seriously she, she'll do that and that's just part that's part of the routine because it's important you get it in and important you get it in within a nice window after the the run um during the week i'll maybe have the protein drink after high intensity sessions but other than that actually what i have for breakfast most mornings just for convenience and speeds muesli or porridge so you know yeah. getting oats oats and you're getting in with that I, i'm i'm vegetarian so um i obviously struggle a wee bit to get the protein in the way others would do so i have to think about how i'm going to get that into me so oats with a bit of milk a porridge with a bit of milk protein drink alongside that or whatever if, if it's been a long session but tomorrow i'm running 16 miles so i would probably have something to eat and a protein drink just to get that that muscle recovery in because then i've got an intensity session on thursday morning so you've got to think ahead with this stuff yeah I mean, there's, I mean, nutrition, like you could talk about nutrition all day long yeah. and it's very individual and personalised, but it's base, quite basic at its root is, is get the right stuff to recover and get the right stuff to fuel. Yeah. And, 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 and there's, uh, uh, there's, um, there's a brilliant <laughs> he's pointing, podcast. He's pointing at me. He's well, pointing at me. There's a brilliant <laughs> podcast you could link to with that. Um, there's a brilliant what? podcast you could link to with that. And what um, uh, and what the, the nutritionist says in this podcast was uh, always resonated with me is, is if you make 90% of the calories that you take in for your exercise and whatever, you know, so if you're 2,000 a day, but then you're burning 500, you're 2,500, whatever it is, First of all, don't do your calories daily in the sense that you don't add a big session a day, so I'll eat loads of calories, you know, balance your calories through the week. But 
um, and obviously get the right mix of nutrients and um, you know um, protein and carbs etc but she says if 10 percent of them are on the bad side of good you know like maybe a, a kit kat or whatever i'm making this up right you know unless you're an elite athlete you'll be all right and people i think people people get a wee bit too in uh, uh absolute abstinence vein and end up causing themselves that gorging thing that happens which like i've not i've been great for a week so i'll just basically have a selection box tonight just ba- everything's balanced but just make sure you fuel well in order to be able to perform and you eat good good amounts of protein in order to be able to recover and just read up about it it's not actually as difficult as you think so a murray's pie um would be like mcgee <laughs> is that kind well, of murray's- I- I'm a macaroni, a macaroni kind of pie guy because there you've got your carbs, of course, yeah. a wee bit of cheese, you've got some protein. No, but I mean... But a Murray's pie on a buttered roll. Was, all right. Well, times two. Times two. One for the oh, left no, hand, no. one for the right hand. Buttered bottom and top. Um, oh, always. Yeah. Always. Literally, uh, honestly, you can just see it, the grease running down your tap. <laughs> I but, must say, I must say, I sent Stephen a photograph earlier on my tea tonight. It's such a summon that we do. And... I'd went for the breaded the breaded fish option rather than the butter fish. So that's a good choice. Fish, fish on a Tuesday. Oh, I'm on my holidays. <laughs> he's on holiday. I used to play golf with a guy and he'd, he'd like, we'd go to the golf outing on a Friday and um, his middle name was Mason, right? And that's what, kind of what you need to know. He's a, a really great guy and it, every golf outing, it was obviously steak pie or fish because that's what you get at golf outings, right? So you get the steak pie or the fish. And if you don't eat that, the members get it on a Saturday and a Sunday. He would always order the fish. And I'm like, John, why do you why do you always get the fish? And he's like, so there's less for you Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love it. You know mm. what? See the next time, see when all this COVID stuff's over, I'm going to go and give John Rob a big hug for asking that question because that answer on refueling was really again another nugget of gold in there absolutely brilliant james thank you very very much it's a pleasure so um thanks very much for those questions drew and john um nice to get a wee bit of audience interaction going um i'm I'm liking that so if that's something else um, that you want to do reach out to us on our social media channels Um, i think we've we've covered tons john with james thank you um, we have been absolutely, um, I don't know, but my wee brain's going like a wee, like, like, like the clappers. There's a quick question for you, James. A local word to Croy, a dialect word. Oh, man, and Croy. Oh, like, crummel. So like, crummel, that's one of my favourite ones. Say it again. Crummel. C-R-U-M-U-L-T. Basically means you've been shot down in flames. Crummel. Mm, never, I've crummel. never heard that before. Crummel. Like crumpled. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say to somebody when, when you've shot somebody down in flames, you're like, you've been crumbled into the wood. <laughs> Listen, oh, yeah. That's Croy. Yeah, that, that is getting used tomorrow by me in some context. I might only see my wife, but I'm going to say that to her. <laughs> Fantastic. We're going to start a little um, dialect type dictionary of different words from all over Scotland and further afield, who knows? So um, that, that, that's a cracker to start us off. Um, can I ask so, another thing? Can I ask oh, just you... one last thing? I've got to do this. I've been thinking yeah. about this all day. Yeah. In Croy, a loaf of plain bread, is it a heel or an outsider? What do you Cider. call that? Outsider. Brilliant. Yeah, definitely. 101 shot, actually, we would call it as well sometimes. 101 shot, right. Okay. 
as an outsider. Ah, of course, of course. Brilliant. <laughs> Every day's a learning day. Crummel, crummel into the wood. Crummel into the wood. There you go. Fantastic. Um, okay, I'm going to wrap us up. Otherwise, we'll be here till midnight, literally. And you know, we've we've got um, coffee to go and get instant, instant, instant coffee, James. You're instant coffee man. No. Good. Correct answer. I'll <laughs> win that. <laughs> so no, I'm. I just want to throw, say a huge thanks to your time, both on the part one and um, part two. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and I know that John and I have vastly enjoyed your company and and your picking away at your brain as well. And and thanks for being so open and honest with us, John. Anything that you want to to add to finish us up? Yeah, I can't believe we thought we'd do it in one episode. To be honest, the amount of stuff that we've covered. My, I, I must admit, my main thing to speak about was the John Muir way. That's what I wanted to know about. We never even touched that in the first episode. So thank you very much, James, for coming back on um, and telling us about that tonight. I think I'll go have to go away and listen to this episode maybe one or two times to reflect and digest everything that's in there. But thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I say I find you absolutely inspirational, and I'm and I'm, I'm waiting to hear. I'm not going to ask you right now, but I'm interested to see what's going to happen next for you. Maybe maybe we can discuss that in the future. Yeah. Me too, mate. Me too. Yeah. No, thanks. One last thing: Would you come and run the Chile Trail in Ochterarda once travel permits us to do so? What was the Chile Trail? Is that the ten k route? It's the 10k route. It's our version of the Antonine Trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we could have a bit of a collab. I can yeah, a collab. Right, okay. We've got commitment, guys. He's coming. He can be it on a cold <laughs> Tuesday night in the chilly. That's I can imagine. I can imagine Drew Summerton and John Robb now. Come on! Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do it. Yeah, we'll do it in awesome. the dark. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Um, thanks for listening in. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like I say, bye for now, folks. Take care. See you later. Thank you, James. Cheers.